Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Colossians 3, 12-17 Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We've had a good day today. We have a good crowd tonight, and aren't we blessed to be able to come and worship God together? Worshiping God is a privilege. You must always view it that way. The very idea that we mortals can come before the throne of God and that he acknowledges our, our worship and our praise and our prayers to him is just a remarkable thing. But it's never been the case that God would accept worship just because we wanted to offer it. That is to say, I don't get to pick and choose how I want to worship him. Not in the patriarchal age. I mean, go ahead and ask Cain about this. Can you just worship God any way that you please? And Cain could straighten you out about that question. What about the Mosaic age? Well, we talked to Nadab and Abihu about that and see what they would say. Can you just worship God any way you please? And the answer is no. No, you can't. What about the New Testament? Well, I want to talk about that tonight. And our Lord said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in Spirit and in truth, John 4, verse 24. The principle is applicable to all the different things we do in worship. What do we do in worship? Who decides that? It's not based on preference. Never has been. It's, it's based on what the Bible says pleases God. I want to I wanna talk specifically about one part of our worship tonight, and that's our singing. But in particular, I want to talk about why we just use a cappella congregational singing. And I'm raising this I don't, I, partly because of me. I, I've been writing an article uh, for Spiritual Sword magazine, which is a great paper. It's been going on for a lot, a lot of years. I think it's done a lot of good. And this coming issue, the October issue, is going to be about a cappella congregational singing and why we do this. We don't use instrumental music in our worship, but not as a matter of tradition. It, it's a matter of principle. And my particular assignment had to do with, with the kinds of things that tempt churches to take on the instrument and, and to use it with their, their vocal congregational singing. And I happened to have some, some uh, familiarity with a church in East Tennessee, Church of Christ in East Tennessee, uh, that has recently brought in a band. And so they have... They have their praise team, and it's an entertainment kind of an atmosphere, and they've decided that they should have the instruments of music in addition to the voice. I, 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 when I was in school, I remember a preacher saying about some subject, 
I could tell you what I believe about that on the back of a penny postcard and have room to write wishing you were here. I think that's true about this subject. I know that there's a lot that can be said about it, but let's put up the first slide. But here, here's, here's the, the basic truth about this, is that the New Testament is written in part to teach us how to worship God acceptably. John 4 and 24. We've got to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Truth has to mean according to what He's, he's authorized, what He said He wants. So 1 Timothy 3.15, if I tarry long that you know how to... How do you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, the church of the living God? The New Testament is written so that we'll know how to do religion, so that we'll know how to uh, conduct ourselves in the church. So we've got a pattern to follow. When you talk about music, music is commanded in the New Testament for our worship, but it's, it's specified as, as congregational a cappella singing. And so the conclusion that I have made what I'm teaching about this is that we should only use music in worship, which is singing and congregational. Now, just briefly, take a look at a couple of verses. Um, I, uh, this church I referenced that is taken as a new band and all of that, um, they had four sermons. They're online and in which they're going to explain why they've made this decision. The... Um, the preacher makes reference to these two verses at one point and sort of teases and laughs about them because why would people, why do people think these verses are so important? But when you talk about music in the church, these two verses are important. And I want you to appreciate the specificity. Here's what we've got. What should we do in reference to music in New Testament times? Here's Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves. Hmm, what I know is that this involves words. It's something that an instrument cannot do, but the voice can. And what we're going to do is express our praise and music in words. We're speaking, and it's reciprocal. That is, we're speaking to one another. So it's not just that I'm going to stand up here, and, and you know you would love this if I just had a solo and I could sing to you. I'm just teasing. You wouldn't. But but that's not the kind of music it is. It's not an entertainment-based kind of thing where where you have your talented singers come forward, stand on the stage, and sing to everybody else, and everybody else listens to them. Isn't that beautiful? Oh, I love that worship. Well, that's just not what this is. The specificity of the New Testament says, see, uh, speaking to one another. It's reciprocal. We're singing to one another. In psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Well, singing and playing are two very different things. I'm just saying not only does the specifics about music and worship involve these things, but it excludes instrumental music. I mean, the playing of instrumental music, and I've played a little bit of it in my life. I know something about it. It doesn't take much sense, good sense to do it. But I'm telling you, you can't speak with the instrument, and you can't sing with the instrument. This, this is reserved for, for singing, for, for the voice. All right, look at Colossians 3 and verse 16. I've underlined a couple of things I want you to pick up on. But the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. That's what's in your heart when you sing, right? You're full of the grace of our Lord, and you want to sing praise to him. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Get this now, teaching and admonishing one another in these songs. Appreciate, please, that is something that instruments simply cannot do. To admonish means to correct, it's to exhort and to correct. It's to build each other up. And that's what we've done tonight in our singing. 
I'm just saying that this is what the New Testament offers us about music in worship. It's, it's to be teaching and admonishing one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and again the word singing, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's reciprocal congregational singing, and that's what we do, and that's that. All right. Uh, that there's, there is my position about this, plain and simple. What I did is to, is to bring with me tonight the arguments. And I, I listened to those four sermons. Each one is preceded by a little, little a speech by one of the elders to say, here's why we're doing this, and our preacher is doing a great job, and he's going to present our doctrinal stand about using the instruments, and we're bringing it in, and we just can't wait. It's going to be wonderful. And they knew that there were going to be a lot of folks in that church who would object to this. And so, presumably, these four lessons are to sort of mitigate that. We, we, want, you to, we want to convince you that this is good. Now, let me go through. I, have, I think I have eight here that I brought. If I don't get to all of them, that's fine. But let's go through some of the arguments. I thought it might be interesting to you. And furthermore, there may be times when you hear these arguments, and I just want you to have pre-thought them. Number one. The elders are behind this decision. Okay? In fact, it's emphasized over and over in these four lessons that the elders studied the subject for a whole year. Music and worship for a whole year, ten years ago. They at that time decided that it was, it was not prohibited in Scripture. It was perfectly alright to do it, but it wasn't expedient. I can translate that. What that means is that they had, they were going to lose too many members. The members weren't ready for this. So they spent 10 years. And you can imagine if, if anything like this came up, how it was taught from the pulpit. But you get 10 years later, and now they feel like it's not only permissible scripturally, but it's also expedient, and so they're doing it now. Look, the fact that something is well-studied or long-time studied, I don't know what they studied. I, I don't know. When you, when you study the Bible, you read it from cover to cover, what you find out is that God is very serious about how people worship Him, always has been, and that God... God expects us to do what he tells us to do for worship. And after all, we're worshiping him and not us, right? It's not about what pleases me. It's about what pleases him. And that's the nature of worship, proskuneo. That's, that's, that's the nature of, of worship. They studied it out. Sometimes people come to wrong conclusions. Sometimes it's because, I don't know, you think about Catholicism. Cindy and I went to the Vatican a few months ago. And I'm telling you. Those people have done a great deal of study to bring about that hierarchy that they've got in the papal system. It's, it's, it's huge and magnificent, and the wealth is just incredible and so inconsistent with the gospel and what they're preaching. But anyway, uh, they, did, they did study a long time. They're, they're still studying, and, and they're going to be studying, I think, until the trumpet blows. Long study may not be uh, sufficient. What are you studying? Are you studying the Bible? And is your premise, your first premise, that God wants us to worship Him the way that He dictates? Is that what it is? See, let me give you, let me give you a syllogism. And, and uh, those, those kids in the, in the room here who have done a lot of debate for last the leaders are very familiar with syllogisms. Now, this is a very basic one. And, and I just want to show you that in a syllogism, you can, you can make an argument that's very logical. And this one has logical form. But it's just false, right? Ready? Black dogs are dangerous. That's the major premise. The minor premise is my docusin is black. The conclusion, and <clears throat> folks, this is logical. It's a logical flow. Therefore, my docusin is dangerous. Got the logic? 
What's wrong with that syllogism? And the answer is that the first premise is false. It's flawed. And if it's flawed from the beginning, then the rest of it may have a logical form, but it's going to be wrong. The first thing they argued was, the elders, and they said this over and again, they studied it for a year, 10 years ago. And then they waited 10 years till it could be what they called expedient. And now they've restudied it for another year. That's two years on this subject. And they're, they're going to introduce it. But they want to do everything they can to not lose any members. All right, here's, here's the second one. The division over instrumental music in worship was born of the Civil War. I'd never heard this one before. This, this one's new. But the argument goes like this that the Restoration Unity Movement happened in the years prior to the Civil War, the war between the states. And you had different branches of, as they would describe it, I guess, Christianity. You had the Baptists and the Presbyterians, and et cetera, et cetera. And it was a union, a, a unity meeting. They all got together, and some things they decided were just matters of judgment, and they not a big deal. And, and how we worship God with music was one of those things. And there was just no disunion, no trouble about this. Everybody do what you want to do, and we're all good with that. But then the Civil War happened. And you had North against the South. And you had Christians, presumably, both sides, and some killing each other. And when the Civil War was over, the argument goes, are you ready for this? No. Members of the church had to have something against one another. You killed my family, and now, listen, we're going to be against you no matter what. And, and so he said, predominantly, now what you've got even today is more northern churches use instrumental music in their worship than the southern churches. And so it's all, it's all because of this. That's, well, well you know, it's, it's kind of a, and, and I tell you what, when somebody starts arguing like that, it's because they have a weak position. It's because what they're arguing, if they had something of substance, they wouldn't, they wouldn't mess around with arguments like this, right? Because this is silly. What about, that, that, that somehow the Civil War, is there's causation there. That there's a direct line there. It doesn't make any sense at all. But furthermore, what it does, and it's designed to do, is to, to people who haven't thought through this, it, it's to make them marginalize and minimize people like us who believe as a matter of principle what we should do is what the New Testament says in these verses about music and worship. It, it is to minimize those people. Number three. Using instruments in worship is uh, today is essential for evangelism. That's a novel. That's a novel idea, and and the idea, I guess, it's sort of intuitive when you hear it. Um, that we've got we've got people out there who would be part of our church, as they would say it, if if we had a band, if we did this. And Paul says in First Corinthians nine nineteen through twenty three that he became all things to all men that he might save some. I would just like to pause and say the Apostle Paul wasn't including in that anything that was sinful or wrong. The Apostle Paul, for example, somebody says, we got people that would be members of the congregation here if we, we would use water in the Lord's Supper instead of the, um, the fruit of the vine. What would the Apostle Paul say? Well, I think we should become all things to all people. And so water's fine. Just use, if that's what's, what you're more comfortable with, we're about evangelism and y'all come on in and we'll just use water. Well, of course, that's silly. That, that's not true. In 1 Corinthians 11, it's the Apostle Paul who taught that it's got to be the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine because that's what Jesus instituted. That's what he said. And after all, this is about the Lord. The same thing is applicable to music. The Apostle Paul taught us 
by the Holy Spirit what, what kind of music we're to have in our worship. And it is in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. And that's always going to be the truth. You say it's essential for evangelism. Well, I, I cannot say that evangelism that, pours, that pulls people into the church for worship that routinely is displeasing to God, I can't say that's a good thing. Our evangelism is to convert people to Christ, not to convert Christ to people. Number four, they argue it is right to serve all of our members. This is, uh, this is a quote now. A growing percentage of our members have come to our elders saying, we love instrumental praise. Is there space for us? And the preacher went on and said, some are sitting around you today. Others have left over this issue. It's important to them, and the elders haven't done anything for them, or those who are like them. Are the elders only to care for one group or to care for one group over another? Some have left the church universal. Listen to this quote because it's kind of interesting. Some have left the church universal, and in particular churches of Christ in part, because of this. The argument is that we, shouldn't, we should go ahead and, and not just do what the New Testament says, they wouldn't say it that way, but we should include instrumental music because we've got to minister to all kinds of people. I, I heard this argument first when I lived in Jasper, Alabama years ago, and believe it or not, the, uh, the, the, the town was dry. It was a dry city. That means you couldn't buy alcohol in Jasper, Alabama. And every few years, they'd bring up a referendum, and everybody would have to vote on it again to say, do we want people to be able to purchase alcohol in Jasper, Alabama? Well, no. You know, what's going to happen is you can imagine what kinds of problems that brings in. And I was very opposed to it. And so a number of the preachers in the town uh, were, were buying space in the newspaper. Back then we had a newspaper, and it would be a full page. And, and each preacher in the community, different religions, would write an article and say, um, I'm, I'm opposed to this, and it's for this, these reasons. And um, the, the First Baptist Church was the largest church in town. And their preacher, I'd been around him some, he was a nice enough guy, but he wanted to meet with me. And, and so we sat down together in front of the, the man who was, who was the head over all the Baptist preachers in town. He was the boss over all the preachers. And we met at their place because they wanted to talk. And anyway, it goes like this. The preacher said, look, Brother Colley, uh, we, I, I, here's my, my thing is that um, I will write an article if you will sign it in the paper. You sign it. Or you can write the article and you can sign it. But what I can't do is write an article on this subject. I mean, I'm with you. I'm really with all of you guys. I, I feel the same way you do, but I can't write the article and put my name on it. I said, I don't understand that. I mean, I, what does, I don't, it doesn't make any sense. What is that? I don't know what does that mean. And he said, we have to understand that we've got people in our church who are drinkers. And I've got to minister to all the people in the church. And so I can't take this stand. Now, that's the argument that was used the other day in reference to this subject. A lot of our members are saying, is there a place for us? What about us? And, and the answer is that, of course, that serving people is good and ministering to people is good. But you can't, if, if the, the question is something, doing something that's wrong, you, you, you don't make them more comfortable in that. You reason with them and try to bring them out of that. The criteria by which we determine if a worship practice is right or wrong isn't do we have people who enjoy this. It rather is, is this something which is authorized by the Bible, by God? 
Is this something that God approves? Here's number five. The argument was this. Integrity demands that we be biblically consistent. Now, the way it was reasoned out was by the preacher, and, I'm, and, and I assure you, you, you can listen to the recordings, I assure you that I'm trying to be very fair with the arguments as they were presented. I will, it would be dishonest to, to, to mess with them. This is, these are the arguments as best I can do it. Integrity demands that we be biblically consistent. The argument is what we believe must, must match what we do. And since our elders have, did I mention, they took an extensive study of a whole year, waited 10 years, and now another year they've studied it. They've come to this long study. And after this study, it's what we believe. We should bring it in. We should have a ban. And, and that's what they're doing. And, and if we believe it, we must do it to be consistent and to have to retain our integrity. And the answer is, so you say integrity demands that we be biblically consistent. And the answer is, no, it doesn't. No, no, it doesn't. It demands that you be biblically sound. Titus 2 verse 1, I want you to speak the things that are proper for sound doctrine. And if, you, if you're unsound in what you're teaching, being consistent with it in your practice is no virtue. Here's number six. We should use our talents for the Lord. And this argument was creatively presented. And here, here's how the preacher read from a letter. He said, I got a letter from a church member. <clears throat> it goes like this, and I'm quoting. My friend is a band director. His words to me years ago have always stuck with me. I love to go to church with you, but I'm a musician. The teacher can teach at your church and use his talents to glorify God. So can the speaker, the leader, the mechanic. But I never could at your church. The preacher then said, I didn't have a good reply because he was exactly right in my mind. Needless to say, he doesn't attend with me. What if I said to you that anything that you have as a God-given talent is appropriate to use in worship to God? Toss that around in a minute for a minute. Now, the answer to that is no, it wouldn't be. No, no, it wouldn't be. I mean, would it be appropriate for this mechanic? I think he can use his talents to glorify God, don't you? I believe he could be wonderful in the church, and there's a lot of people who could use him and his skills. But that's not the question. The question is, what do we do in worship to God? When we come together as a church in corporate worship, what is appropriate and approved for us to do? It'll be all right to say, now, before we, before we have the service or before we pray, Brother Jones wants to show you how to put in an alternator. And you would say, well, no, that, no that's silly. Well, okay, but that is the point. That is the point. Listen closely because this terminology is going to be important in your life. Everything that we do as Christians is to be to God's glory. But not everything we do as Christians is appropriate in worship to God. And God has specified what we should do. I, I've watched the Olympics. And I've seen people do twists and turns off a board and fall into the water and make hardly a splash. I think that the balance is God's, that's a God-given talent. You think it's appropriate to do in worship? And you'd say, well, no. And you can, you can stretch that illustration a long way. The criteria by which God-approved worship is determined is what does the Bible say? What does it say? 
It is not a true statement that everything we do in life is worship God. It's a true statement that everything we do in life is glorify God. And when you, when you research Scripture, what you find where worship, for example, in the Old Testament is described, what you'll find is that it's punctuated with a beginning time and an ending time. We, we offer worship to God in a way that He has specified, and we must if we're going to be approved. Here's number seven. Now, this one's very interesting to me. I, I thought this one was fascinating. <clears throat> Some of them are trivial, but this one's interesting. While admittedly, he says, early Christians did not use instruments in their worship, there are other reasons why they didn't. Other plausible reasons, possible reasons why they didn't. Because, you know, what, what we would say is, well, here's what's authorized by God. You have specificity attached to what kind of music we use in our worship, and that's the kind of music we're going to use. And, and because, and by the way, and I've made this point many times, it is true that you find instrumental music being used in worship in the Old Testament. But then you get to the New Testament, and it is shockingly stark. Suddenly, it's cut off. It isn't that those early Christians didn't know about instrumental music, and arguably we could assume that they played, some of them played instrumental music. It's just that they did not bring it into worship. They didn't. And then, then you have Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16, and it says, when you worship, I want you to sing and teach and admonishing and, 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 and admonish in that singing. You have specificity. You have a reason why it's to be vocal, a cappella, and congregational, because we're singing to one another. At the same time. So the argument was made. Maybe they didn't use instrumental music because the finances were scarce. They couldn't afford it. I don't know how much a log with a stick that you could beat on. I don't know. But maybe they you know, couldn't afford one. Or number two... Or maybe they were persecuted and needed in their worship to be as quiet as possible when they assembled. <clears throat> and so they didn't use instruments in order to not draw any attention with the sound when they worshipped God. Or number three, maybe they wanted to distinguish themselves from the debauched worship in the temple. What you've got to do about worship not just in reference to music, but all parts of our worship, all of your life, wherever you go in your life, is to be, be sure that you're anchored in the Scripture about each part of worship, each avenue of worship. What is it that God told us He wants? Worship, proskuneo, means to kiss the hand or to kiss toward another or to bow toward another. You can imagine bowing toward a king, and that's the idea of worship. I'm not here to worship me. I mean, I'm going to tell you right now, I love, I love worshiping, and I love worshiping in song, and I've loved singing with you tonight. I truly love it. That is not why I do it the way I do. I do it the way I do it because that's what the Bible says. Here's the last one. My time's almost up. This one's very interesting to me. <clears throat> Never heard this one before. A similar situation is discussed in Acts 15.9. That was the Jerusalem conference. And the question was, as these Gentile Christians are coming in, shouldn't we bind the old law of Moses on them, particularly in reference to circumcision? 
What from the old law do we bind on these Gentile converts that are coming in? The question of circumcision came on on the, the table. So should we bind this as a religious responsibility from God or not? Now, I know how you would answer that because that's not bound in the New Testament religiously. Anyway, the the preacher pointed out that that James wisely said at that time, therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. And the preacher extrapolates then, likewise, we must not trouble people who are coming into the church by binding our long-held opinion about instrumental music. Got it? If we had more time, I'd give you about 10 minutes now just to let that soak in. But but I'll go ahead and, and try to put my finger on it. Those are two very different things. Acts 15 in the Jerusalem conference is about a law from God, a law of the of the Old Testament, of the law of Moses, circumcision of the Israelite men. That law was now obsolete, and Colossians 2.14 says it was nailed to the cross. It no longer existed. Now, circumcision as a matter of opinion is fine, but circumcision as a matter of religion, in Galatians 5 and verse 4 says, you'll fall from grace. You better not do that. You, You practice circumcision as part of your faith, and you will fall from grace. It's very strong, very strong. It's not part of the New Testament covenant. Anyway, the the preacher extrapolates, likewise, we should not bind our a cappella tradition on new converts who enjoy instrumental music. Listen closely. Men did not decide to not require circumcision of the new covenants. Uh, I'm sorry, of the new converts. God did. God decided that the new converts would not be required to practice circumcision. But in reference to the music we're talking about, men did not decide to specify a cappella congregational singing in New Testament worship. God did. That is, he, he said, stop the circumcision in reference to the church. But in reference to the church, he said, I want you to practice congregational a cappella singing. So the two are not the same. They're not the same at all. In fact, it seems to me it sort, of, it sort of comes over to my side of the discussion because why? what they're saying is that you find instrumental music in the Old Testament and therefore it must be right today. And yet in reference to this argument about circumcision, it was certainly practiced and bound in the Old Testament, but if you practice it today, you'll be lost. That's what this says. I need to go back to the New Testament because I'm a Christian That's where I learned how to be a Christian in this new covenant, the last and final covenant of God. Study it and say, this is the question. Ready? This is the question. How does God want to be worshipped today? And then I need to do that. And people are very creative about their arguments. What's very interesting to me is that we come down on our feet and we get this. What nobody is arguing is that the New Testament commands us to use instrumental music in worship. Nobody's going to say that. You can't sustain that argument. It's not true. It's just not there. But what is there is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Thank you so much for listening tonight. 
I, I love to be a Christian, but I'm a Christian and I have confidence in the future, not because of my own goodness, but because I've studied the New Testament. I know about the promises of God, but I also know about his wrath. I know about what he wants. I, you can read the New Testament and know everything I know about, about his will. And in reference to worship, he's going to be the one who dictates it. It's always going to be like that. If there's somebody here tonight who needs to obey the gospel because you haven't, we talked about <clears throat> this morning about being born again. Wouldn't you like to be born again? And if you weren't here, well, that, that lesson is recorded, and I hope you'll study it and consider what the Bible has to say about being born again. And you can, you can do that and be in Christ and be added to his church and have your sins forgiven and anticipate heaven when you die because you'll be the recipient of the benefit of the blood of Jesus Christ. If you need prayers of Christians tonight, we'll be so happy to stop what we're doing and pray with you and for you. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.